morning. The picture I'm going to put up here is going to date me a ton because this is a very narrow thing. I think it was only popular for a little bit of time. You guys remember the Magic Eye books? Okay, there's a few nods. Okay, I'm not all alone. So if, if we can throw that picture up there, you guys seen these things like this? It's just a jumbled mess. And it was like you had to, supposedly you're supposed to bring the book up to your nose and like unfocus your eyes, which for me as a kid, tell me to unfocus. I was all over it. Um, but you're like, bring the book up to your nose and then slowly take it away. Almost like looking through the page, felt like you went cross-eyed and then like a picture jumps out at you, right? So anybody see this thing? You can see what's behind. There's a picture that kind of pops out in all of it. I'll give you a second because I did this on my computer, not knowing if it'd work. I didn't do it on a big screen in here, so I'm... Go ahead and show them what's supposed to be behind there. This picture is supposed to pop out at you is a dolphin jumping through a ring, right? You all saw that? Okay. There's one more. Uh, give this one a little look. Looks like a, yeah, jumbled mess. Yeah, you kind of have to like almost look through the picture, and we've got some extra skills over here. I didn't know this. The new method I didn't know about. Maybe it works. Anybody see it in there? Maybe it doesn't work. I don't know. Supposed to be a heart. So it's one of those things that's like, I think as a kid, yeah, I I could look at these things. I can remember looking through the, the, the pages of these books, just books and books of just jumbled pictures. And I can remember going, uh huh, yep. Next one, mm-hmm, yeah, like the unfocused thing wasn't hard for me. I, I could see all that thing just pop out at me. But it's kind of interesting, I guess, as we talk about what it is to be rooted, we, we have to train our eyes to see certain things. And, and there's, sometimes it's complicated and it seems like it's, it can be messy, but when we train our eyes right, we can see a little bit more clearly what's right in front of us. So this morning, we're going to be looking into the series. This is our last, last week in the series called Rooted. And this week, we're going to be looking at what it looks to, like to see the harvest through Jesus' eyes. And so we've been looking. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Dave talked about how we are to take care of the soil that we have, that we're supposed to look at these different soils and to see what we can do to, to kind of help our hearts to, to be more fertile and ready to receive God's word and to help others to see God's word so that his word can take root in our hearts. Last week, Justin kind of looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and Paul was a little upset with us because we've been growing older, but we've not matured in our faith. And so we've looked a little bit at what, is, what does it look like for us to continue to, to grow um, closer to God, being intentional with the time that we spend, and, and not just to kind of become complacent in what we do, but to be intentional and spend time with God and other Christ followers. But this week, we're going to kind of turn the last, last corner here because after we've gotten our soil prepared, we've planted the seed, there's growth coming. Our farmers are not just sitting around now, sitting and going, oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm just enjoying watching my crops. Like, that's, that's the whole joy of it, is just watching it happen. But there's an expectation that something is to come, that there's a harvest that's going to be coming in. So there's an expectation that that growth produces something. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. 
And it's going to take us a little bit to train our eyes to actually see what God's doing. So before we dive in, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 9. Let's pray first. God, I ask that through what we read today, through your word, that you would guide and direct us, that you would help our hearts to be attentive to what's happening in your word. And God, help us to move to action. So God, we just ask that you would use this time to grow us and strengthen us to become more like you. God, we love you and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible app with you, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 9. We will have it up on the screens as well. I always love to underline. We got, these are solid verses. If you don't have these marked in your Bible, I would highly recommend it. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, we're going to be starting in 35 to 38 to kind of see how Jesus views this harvest. So beginning in verse 35, it says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in the synagogues, and he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and he was healing every disease and every affliction. So this is kind of Jesus' normal habits as he would come to a town, that he would travel and he would go and he would stop and he would teach in those places. He would proclaim the message of the good news that People needed to understand their sin and then understand the freedom that he brings. And so he would do that as his habit. And so as he's doing this work, we talked about this two weeks ago, that he was preparing soil, that he was helping people's hearts become receptive to, to hear his words and removing those rocks, right? If we have the rocky soil, we remove some of those rocks so that we have better soil to be planting his word in. And all of chapter 9 and even some of 8, we're looking, like, it's a list it's a whole list of um, things that Jesus has done, huge, miraculous things that Jesus has done. There's, he cleansed a leper. He healed a paralyzed servant. A man came and said, my servant's sick. Can you heal him? And he said, you don't even have to go to him. You're powerful enough to do it from a distance. And so he heals him while not even going. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. He casts out demons. He calms the storm that the, the disciples are in, and Jesus is sleeping in the bottom of the boat all, while this storm is happening. He calms the storm with just a word. He heals two men with demons. He heals a man who's unable to walk, but then he also forgives his sin. Because it's one thing to, to heal somebody of their sickness, which is a huge thing, but to forgive sins, that's something only Jesus can do. Then he restored a young girl to life and even healed a woman of this bleeding problem that she had had for 12 years just by touching the fringe of his garments. So there's tons of this stuff, and I wanted to mention some of these because I think we understand how much Jesus is caring for the people that he's around. He, he, he is caring for these people. He loves them. And even this woman that's been bleeding for 12 years, he's on the way to go heal this little girl. And he ends up raising her from the dead. But he takes the moment to, to not just walk by and, and even know that she was healed and just continue on. But he takes the time to see her when nobody else had been able. So I think too often we fall into the same habit that, that, that we can easy, easily get into our day-to-day lives. Like I'm talking about the flowers. Like I, I, can, I can easily walk by that and, and miss it all because it's so easy. You know, we, we can leave our houses a lot of, if, if you have a garage you go from the house to the connected garage into the car open the garage door out drive to work with podcasts going whatever we've missed everyone along the way go to your desk and you can sit down and never have any interaction with anybody we can miss everybody along the way but how how can we care for people how can we care for the people that are the broken people 
if we're never in contact with them? If we're never connected with them, how can we possibly help? We have to be aware of what's happening around us. And we see Jesus doing that. He's aware of the people that he's passing by. He sees the needs around him, and he's prepared to help them in their time of need. So I think we need to begin to, to train our eyes to be like Jesus. We need to train our eyes to see people the way that Jesus sees them. And if, if you think that there may be no needs around you, say, everybody in my life, we're, we're all good. Um, I, I, would, I would challenge you to work on your eyes, to have deeper conversations, to see what's really going on in people's lives. I had a conversation with somebody this morning that sometimes we don't know what's going on in people's lives. We can greet each other this morning and have no idea the depth of things happening in each other's lives. But we need to train our eyes to see people the way Jesus does and, and to, to dive deep with people. And so I'd encourage you, either have deeper conversations to understand the needs around you or widen your circle if there really are no needs. Begin to, to bring in people into your life and not just keep yourself protected or hidden, but to, to see those that are lost around you and to see them the way that Christ does. So I think that we can't be true disciples until we begin to see the, see the lost people around us the way that Jesus does. So then the next thing that we see here, as we look at verse 36, we see the lost, but this is really what's central to all of Christianity and to the life of being a Christ follower is that we have to have compassion for the lost. Because it's one thing to be aware of the brokenness, but if we have no compassion, we've completely missed it. So verse 36 says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So this, this word that's compassion, it's, it's this amazingly long Greek word that I'm not going to even attempt to butcher this morning. But the word actually means to feel it from your guts. Like a lot of times when we talk about emotions, we, we, we often tie that emotions to our heart that, you know, it breaks your heart when something happens. But like the, the, to feel it from your guts, like most of the time we, we kind of relate that with the bad feelings. Like I hate their guts or um, it, it, it tends to be like, yeah, the, the hatred or disgust. Those types of things we tend to, to relate to a feeling within your gut. But like this is such a deep, deep, deep feeling that Jesus has of compassion. It's, it's like he sees this and he can't sit still. It's something he has to take care of. And it's interesting to me that, that Jesus can stand there and have this deep compassion because they're lost. They're broken. They're helpless. But he doesn't stand accusing them. He doesn't say, shame on you for doing this stuff or shame on you for not being a good follower. He looks at the, the people in their lost condition and he is filled with compassion so I think we have to understand people's conditions, that we have to understand that they're helpless, they're harassed, they're distressed, they're despised. We have to understand the condition of their hearts. So I, th I think that that condition that they're in, we can look at it two different ways. It can be a physical thing, that these people were, there was a lot of sickness, brokenness that they were dealing with, that they were poor, sick, hungry, and Jesus met those needs. But there's also spiritual helplessness. They, they needed a spiritual guide to help them along the way. The spiritual guides of that day were actually making rules and rules and rules that they would just pile on top of people, and it was impossible to live by them. And so in that, it, it 
pretty well felt helpless. Well, they could not follow those rules themselves. And so they were like sheep without a shepherd. They needed guidance along the way. So I, I, we can often think we see people living in this lost way, that they're chasing after the things that might satisfy them or they think that are going to satisfy. They, they pursue different things and different pleasures along the way, thinking this is somehow going to satisfy, but it all doesn't do it. Maybe temporarily, but not, not wholly. They need God to come through and, and to fill this emptiness within them. And Justin even talked about last week that, you know, even on campus, that there's probably a roughly 3,000 students that are, don't have a relationship with Jesus. And if we looked at our town and our community as a whole, how many more thousand do you think there are that are without relationship with Jesus? As Christians, sometimes we're more known for what we're against than what we're for. We, we can say that we don't like certain things and people know us for being judgy and everything like that because they know what we're against. But it w- wouldn't it be awesome if they knew that what we were for, that we were, we were so compassionate and that we were so loving and gracious. And I think when, when we turn our mindset to be compassionate, we're no longer looking at just the brokenness, the, the things that they're doing because if people are lost, they're going to act like lost people. If people are broken, they're going to act like broken people. We shouldn't be surprised when they act that way. That's the state they're in. And so we need to come to them with compassionate hearts, knowing what Ephesians six twelve says, that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're not against them personally, but we're against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So when those lost people are doing these lost things, we need to see them as lost, wandering people that are in desperate need of God's guidance. We need to see them through Jesus' eyes and have compassion on them and try to help turn their hearts toward Jesus. So when we look back at the way that, that Christians have acted in the past, a lot of times we, do, we mimic what Jesus did. Jesus, when he taught, he preached, and he healed. And historically, when you look back, a lot of colleges started as seminaries. So there was a place that we wanted to teach and, and grow people. Churches and organ- mission organizations, there's all sorts of organizations that go out to help people in need. And that, that we preach the gospel message as we care for hurting hearts through disasters and things like that. And then hospitals, I think we have, because people have taken that compassion of Christ very physically and very practically, like they, they want to help people in their sometimes literally broken state. They will desire to help. But my hope would be that the more that we are aware of how lost people are around us, that, that we'd be moved to this same deep gut-wrenching feeling that we need to do something, that we have to help and be compassionate and be moved to action. So the mission of the church, I think, is based on Jesus' compassion, that we are moved forward, but how do we move forward? And I think that's exactly where we move next in these verses 37 and 38. And it, it asks us to pray for the workers. So we're going to read that in 37 38 there. It says, Then he says to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and send out laborers into his harvest. 
So we, we, we see these people in their broken and lost state. And, and when we see them, we don't just sit there and look at that, but we look what's beneath it. He sees the potential beyond their despair. I think ever since moving here, um, we've, we've tried to make it down to the, the cruise night uh, and, and go enjoy all the cool cars that are driving by. But the only thing it's done to me is make me want a cool car to go drive, right? Um, I'm like, man, I need to be out there because, uh, yeah, driving our Yukon is, is not that cool. So it's, it's just made me go, man, look at all these cool cars. And I think... Yeah, all the time that's been spent on making those as cool as they are because, oh, I have looked on Facebook Marketplace for, you know, what could our family drive on cruise night? And you quickly realize if you want a cool car like what you see down on cruise night, you're going to pay a lot for it. Or somewhere along the way, somebody saw one of these other cars that I've seen posted that has great potential um, in in the listing, right? Or uh, good bones, project car. Um, it's all of those things, but somewhere along the way, somebody saw that car and thought, I see the potential in this, of what it can be, or what, of what maybe what it used to be. And I think as we begin to have Jesus' eyes, we should see other people with that same, those same eyes, that they might be in a broken state right now, but I look at them and go, man, look at the potential that God has in them. And not because of what we can do, but because of what God can do in and through us. So I, I think when we look at this, if we allow God to restore us and make us new again, there's so much potential. And so when we look at people that are lost and broken, do we have the eyes to see them with compassionate hearts and the potential that they have if they allow God to restore them? So in this verse, it talks about this harvest. And this harvest sometimes, as, it, as we see it in other passages too, the harvest is God bringing in his people. And not just his people, this is when Jesus brings in the wheat and the tares. This is a, a judgment picture that he's bringing them in, that God's going to be separating the wheat from the tares. But this is God's redemptive work. His goal is that his crop is plentiful and that it comes in like we hope that our crops do. So knowing that this judgment is coming, I think it needs to drive us to a sense of urgency. That that compassion just can't sit there and go, well, somebody else will do it, or I'll do it later, or I just don't know what to say. I think that needs to drive us to a sense of urgency to, to help people find, follow, and be like Jesus. That's what our mission is here at Journey, but I hope that's yours as well. That you begin to, to see people with this urgency, and you have to act on it. It says that the workers are few. And this, this, I guess as we did mission work, this verse gets used a lot. The workers are few. We need you to go. And so this is when I do the recruiting of all of you, right? Like, where in the world are you going to go? And uh, like, we, we can do that. And I totally believe that's what this verse is for, is for we need people to go work. But I don't think it's something that should, should pressure you into it. Because it doesn't just say the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Go. What does he say? What's the command to do? Is it still up there? The command is to pray. It's so interesting to me that it's not just, he doesn't command you to go. He says, but pray. We take time to, to pray to God. He says to pray for those that are going out. 
for those that are faithfully and diligently serving. That we pray for them, that they don't grow weary because they're out spreading the gospel message to those that are lost. So let's take a moment now to do that because it seems like it's a command that we can fulfill right here and right now, yeah? And it can be simple. Just say, God, I ask that you would raise up workers. I ask that you, you would place it in the hearts of people to be workers. But I pray for those that are currently doing your work, God, that you would guard their hearts, that you would guide and direct them to lead lost people back to you. And God, even if that be one of us, help our ears to hear. God, we love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think this is a really important thing that we have to learn to do, is to pray for those that are doing this work. I prayed for a brother of mine that's preaching this morning for the very first time. And I didn't have time to call him. I sent him a video of me praying for him, which feels really, really weird. But I'm like, he's out doing God's work. Should I not be praying for him as he does that? We need to be praying for those that are doing this work. And I think for you, you see, it's, I hope that you find these people around you. The, the people that are the, the lost ones that you need to be praying for. Because maybe back step here. We're praying for those workers to go out. We're praying for people to, to go out and to be the workers out in the field. But I don't know that you can pray earnestly after this without starting to see that need around you a bit. So I think as you go to college, as you go to school, as you go to work, as you go out for lunch today, do you begin to see with Jesus' eyes the people that are around you that are in desperate need to be drawn in, to be drawn to who God is? How are people going to understand if you don't go and present it to them, if you don't live as Jesus to them? So I think our response needs to look in two ways, is that we, one, we start praying for the workers, and then we pray for the people, the ones, the laborers that are outgoing. And I think that you can fall into the prayer category, and you can also fall into that people category, that you might be the people going. As we pray for people to go, I pray that God puts it on your heart to begin to go as well. But I think when we look at the last few chapters, and this is why I wanted to mention all the great big things that Jesus did, as he did those miraculous things, it's easy to think, well, if God can do all that stuff, why doesn't he just do this? Why, why is it that we're asking for more laborers to go out when Jesus is capable of this? Why, why doesn't he just go do it? I, I think it's one of the coolest things is that Jesus wants us to be a part. When he talks about being us being the body of Christ, he wants us to have a part in this. We are part of the rescue plan. We are bringing people back to Jesus. But does Jesus put all that weight on you, to put this pressure on you to be the one to save people? We are to pray. Some of us are even called to go, to be the people. But if we remember those verses that we're praying to the Lord of the harvest, and we're going into his harvest, all of this is still his. We're a worker in the field bringing people in. He wants us to be a part of it, but it's still his. But what an honor it is for us to be a part of that plan. We're praying for those that are going out, but you might be an answer to that prayer. You may be that person that's going out, called to go out to bring in those that are lost. So maybe this is a, I, I always like to have some practical thing. Do you have a list of people that you're praying for? 
And if you got a half sheet or if you got paper with you or a note on your phone, do you have a list of people you're praying for? Whether they be a current worker that's out doing God's work in the field or it's the lost people that need to come in. Do you have a list? Two, three people that you can be covering in prayer this week. I think as, as God begins to, to have this gut feeling, it's like, I can't, I can't go another day without having this conversation with this person. This person, I see him every day, but yet do I really have that compassion to reach out to them? Or do I just go throughout my day? I don't think we can sit inside this building and expect lost people to just come wandering in and saying, hey, I didn't know what happens in this building. I thought I'd come check it out. It may happen, which would be awesome if it does. But I think we have to go. And I think it can be overwhelming to think that there's this whole harvest that's ready. The harvest is, is plentiful. But just remember, it's, it's the Lord of the harvest. Who's the Lord of the harvest? God is, not us. And who do we pray to about this harvest? We pray to God. We're not praying to you about it. It's not for you to solve. It's for God to solve. And God's the one in charge of sending out the workers. But if you feel an urgency, pray for those and go. God may do some great and wonderful things in and through you, but you have to, to listen to that call and join in to help people find, follow, and be like Jesus. Because that's exactly what that next chapter that Matthew chapter 10 goes into is that Jesus starts sending the, out the disciples to go do the work. We can talk about it, but what better to do than say, let's go. Let's look at people with compassionate hearts and let's go to them and let's show them the love of Jesus. And so seeing the harvest through Jesus' eyes, it means that we're caring for the broken. It means we're having compassion for the lost and we're praying for the workers. We understand the way that Jesus sees this, this harvest and our attention, our hearts, that not just our hearts, even that, that gut feeling of compassion should grow within us. We should commit to pray and to be the people that go out. So as the worship team comes back up, I hope you've learned a way that you can view the harvest today. I'd ask you, how are your eyes? We looked at this magic eye at the beginning, and it's hard to see it. It's hard to think, how, how do I get this to pop out? I want to encourage you, dive into Jesus' words. Watch the way that Jesus loved and had compassion for people to bring them in. Look at Jesus' example to care for the broken, pray for the workers, but most importantly, I think we're driven by this idea of compassion, that you have to allow the compassion for the lost to set in. So let Jesus be your example, and he'll guide you as you walk through your day, and he'll help you to see. Let's pray. God, I, I, ask, us, I ask that you help us to have eyes to see the lost around us, and that, that you would be with the laborers that are out in the field that you would give them the strength, the encouragement, the wisdom as they serve and do the best to bring in their harvest. And I pray that for each one of us as we go out of here today because that's what better to do with what we've learned than to go put it into action, that we go out into the harvest and begin this work of seeing people the way that you see them, showing compassion and drawing them in. God, help us to do that so that they can experience the same freedom and grace that we've received as well. 
God, we love you and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?